Welcome back, baseball family. This week, we're going to talk about the Anaheim Angels, streaky baseball, and another pitching documentary right now. Nine Plus Us presents the Baseball Together podcast with your hosts, Blackjack Brad and Kansas City Little Big Briggy Blue Eyes. And now, Baseball Together. Welcome back, baseball family, to another episode of the Baseball Together podcast. I am Brig, and as per the most huge, I got the Bradmaster here with me. Say hi, Brad. Hi. How is everybody? How are you, Brig? I am super well, and I'm faking the funk better than anybody you ever met. It's great. Just kidding. I am well. Thank you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad, okay. I'm glad you're well. So, baseball family, want to just um, jump into things right away and let you know that the Angels won. And it's Finally. amazing. Yeah. And Brig, and Brig, oh, you well, narrowly avoided pie in the face it was really close for two <laughs> reasons a day yes why don't you tell them the other reason the no fact, i won't not I only the fact I... that like <laughs> that like the angels like won the night before they lost the day that you said that they were going to lose and wagered the pie in the face and then they won the next day however there was some discussion brig <laughs> that brig <laughs> thought there that was. it was saturday so he was gearing up. He's getting ready. And me being sick and not in a good mental state stopped him from I hitting said, himself in the face of the pie. I said, now, what day did I say? Because I'm pretty sure I got to get a pie in the face. Right. And he's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> he, he waved it. He waved it. He called off the sign. <laughs> yeah, I should. I shouldn't have wiped it. I should yeah. just let it go. And then once it happened, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, no, that was Friday. We we specifically talked about that. But Whoops. So we almost had pie in the face content that would have been erroneous and hilarious all at the same time. Next so, time. It's you're welcome. Regardless, I will not stop him. I promise you just for the Thank sake you. of the content. <laughs> <laughs> but they did take one out of three against the Mets, which was not bad. And Jared Walsh hit for the cycle on Saturday night. That was amazing. That is, I in love when people hit the cycle unis. in the city. I wonder if they're going to wear those at home the rest of the season because they played well in those this, this weekend. You have to. I mean, you, I think so too. You don't mess with it. Yeah. <laughs> and as desperate as they are, mm-hmm. I think you can't mess with it. And this is yeah. how desperate they are. Joe Madden shaved his head into a mohawk, right? He cut his hair into a mohawk. He thought that would lighten things up in the clubhouse. It would make things a little easier on everybody and just kind of break the funk that they got going on. And before he was able to reveal it to the world, he was fired. So as soon as I heard this, I had I had the vision of like the guy coming into the office and he's got like the balloons and the pizza and the cake for like a big party, big office party. He gets to the door and they're like, oh, that's next week. It's like. What? (laughs) <laughs> but i br- i brought it all like, no that's we're gonna need you to take that because we we're not gonna have that today let's go yeah. take it and leave okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine him just like him pulling up to the stadium ready to like go through film and everything get ready put together the lineup for the day and he's got he's got this mohawk hidden underneath his angel's hat yep and the oh my gosh that'd be so funny <laughs> Like, like, do you think he showed up, or do you think they called him before? He I got think they there? probably called him. I think, I think you're more right as far. As I, I hope know. so because that, that would have been. Like, I bet they called him. That would be. But at the same terrible. time, though, like, is that is that something you do over the phone when you're in town? Though, no, you call him in. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, like you, I remember yeah. with the I remember several years ago with the Trailblazers, Nate McMillan got fired as the team was getting on the bus to leave town. Jeez. Nate McMillan Nate, Nate McMillan was getting on the bus and they fired him and said, There's a plane waiting for you. Take a take a, a cab because this is pre Uber. Take a cab and go to the airport because you're not coming with us to the next town. Whoa. So I do think that since they were at home, I think they called him in. But yeah, at the same yeah. time though, like he's coming in just like another day in the office, da 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 da, and then shows up and it's canned and nobody got to see that beautiful yep. mohawk of his. It's so, so sad. I needed that in my life. I did not know that Mad Well, Dog and we may never get to see it. Right. We may never get to see it because yeah. like what's the point now? Unless he gets on like Twitter or something, which I doubt because he still uses a typewriter that you know and posts a picture or something, but no, he won't do that. So anyway. is he gonna get picked up? That's the next question. Is he gonna pull a snicker and go be a bench coach or a third base coach somewhere? I think just because he is a lifer, he'd be willing to go be a bench coach somewhere. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know where. Like, I don't know who has a need for a bench coach these days. And I don't know if maybe next year when the Philly, like maybe next year when the Phillies, when they bring in their new coaching staff, like I don't see him being a manager next year. But mm. if whoever it is is like, like brings him in and says, hey, you can be part of my coaching staff, you know, because I do think that after the way things ended in Chicago and now things have ended in Anaheim, I don't think anybody's going to hire him as a manager. He's going to have to take a step down kind of like um, what, I mean, I know Don Wakamatsu has done that. He's, he hasn't been a manager since he was in Seattle. And uh, I think Bob Melvin did that for a year or two after Seattle. Mm -hmm. But there are some guys like, um, Oh shoot. What's his name? The infield coach for the Braves, Ron Washington. Like he hasn't had a managerial position since Texas. But he's doing wonders for those guys in Atlanta. Yep. As as an infield coach. So So I I can see the, exactly what you're saying, but I also see him taking a year off, maybe two. Not not by choice, but out of necessity. Like I can see his wife sitting him down or something and saying, Look, man, like let's just take a breather, regroup or whatever. And then he's gonna start getting desperate phone calls like Buck Showalter did. Like, you know, I mm. think he's going to get that kind of treatment and it's going to be right. after a brief stint away. Yeah. So we won't see him for a couple of years, you think? I don't think so. I don't know why, but mm. I don't think so. I don't think he'll pick up a bench coach job and try and stay stay in the game. I want to see I want to see Joe Madden as a base coach, waving his arms at third base as a base be coach. Awesome. It'd be awesome. It's not going to happen, but it would be awesome. No, it's not. But that's what I want to see next. You, you know what? If I if I were the Pioneer League, I'd call him. I don't think the and Pioneer have, League can afford him. No, honestly. but as a special advisor, <clears throat> as some kind of like liaison or coordination guy or just idea guy or something. Because one thing we Maybe. know about Madden is that that is a creative dude. Like he yeah. is an outside the box thinker. He's a creative thinker. And I can see him being a benefit to a league like the Pioneer League or something like that, independent league baseball, something. Yeah, he could. He really could. Yeah. So I don't know if he'll do it. That's the route that he goes next. I don't know if anybody will call him, but if he wants to stay in baseball, I think there are are a lot of opportunities for him. Anyway, let's move past. uh, We just gave him a nickname, too. Gosh dang it. Okay, now that we're done with Mad Dog Madden, there it is. We'll go through and talk about the Orioles. 
because this is the most fascinating storyline in baseball <coughs> outside it of really, performance yeah. on the field. This is the funnest. This is the most. We have a soap opera happening in baseball. Yes. Right That's what now. I was going to say. That's what I was just going to say. This is literal soap opera. So we were we were joking earlier this year about how the Reds were like the real-life iteration of Major League. It's like, no, yeah. they weren't. Uh, they were no. just going through a rough patch. Yeah. Um, but no, this is real-life Major League. So this is what's going on with the Orioles right now. Yeah, tell us, Brad. So you have Louis Angelos and John Angelos. They are sons of the owner of the Orioles, Peter Angelos. Yep. John is the CEO of the team and and has been given the title of basically like the chief decision maker. All decisions that are made for the team or on behalf of the team with through the league go through John. He's the guy who raises his hand and says yay or nay in the league meetings. Yeah. Lewis is set to inherit the team as part of a trust. Well, what we have going on right now is we have a big old fatty fat lawsuit. Lewis <laughs> is suing John. And, and he's accused him of firing valuable team members like coaches, the GM, and others yeah. to make it easier to move the team from Baltimore to Nashville because that's where John's wife is a country music producer. Ooh. Holy cow. Like, <laughs> is this like, is this like, she says, John, I want you work. I don't want you commuting so far to work. I would really like to have you around the house more. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll bring work home. Like, is that what this is? Or is this just, I'm tired of being on the road for six months out of the year. Let's bring the team home. I don't know. Either don't way, know. <laughs> he doesn't have the power to do that despite basically having power of attorney. Right. Yeah. And so Lewis is saying that, that he can't do that, and there's a, a lawsuit going uh, because since he's set to inherit the team, that that John can't do that. So Lewis is uh, suing John. Lewis Angelos is suing John Angelos, and it's going to be fascinating to follow this because really what it comes down to is he has to produce a piece of paper or some kind of documentation, basically, that says that he can't. Yeah, can't do that. Right. So this is like. High, high drama. <laughs> and it's it unreal. Fun fact, the Baltimore Baltimore Orioles, blah, 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 Baltimore Orioles have been around for 122 seasons. They started out as the Milwaukee Brewers in 1901. Then wow. they were moved to St. Louis, where they were the Browns from 1902 to 1953. And in 1954 to the present day, they have been the Baltimore Orioles. Hmm. I don't think they're going to go without a ball club in Baltimore. I don't think so either. Um, well, and one of the things too is, so I was listening to nothing personal with David Sampson today. And one of the things that he was talking about with this as well was that <clears throat> one of the possible resolutions for this is that they could end up being forced to sell the team as yeah. like part of the decision that the court makes. And when it comes down to it, major league baseball is almost like, okay, don't care. You gotta sell them. You gotta sell them. And part of, and I think part of the reason with that is because as a, as teams sell for more and more and more, as it's one of those things like where you see the market value for something, everything else goes up, right? Yep. Like yep. I, I believe the Marlins sold for two point one billion, what five six years ago, something like that. Was. Yep. So if the Orioles go for three, then what does that bump the Marlins up to? And if the Marlins if the Marlins are up above that, then what are the Yankees at? 
what are the Red Sox at? The Dodgers, like it just increases the value of everything else. If you see what people are willing to pay for, like a lower level team, like the like the Baltimore Orioles, despite the history, despite yeah. the beautiful ballpark, despite everything, incredible, yeah, they're they're a low tier team, and they're not going to be worth nearly as much as even the Toronto Blue Jays. Not the right. way they're playing. So, <laughs> and Jerron Craft. Yeah, and if they go for three billion, then that helps the league, and it helps the A's in their pursuits to move and possibly shift gears because they're in a big pickle. <laughs> Not to go too green on you, but they're in a big pickle when it comes to that. And if this is what the team is, if we're going to quickly find out what the Baltimore Orioles are worth, it's going to be interesting to see what the A's can do with that. Yeah, you're right. Um, okay. Let's move on past that because that is awesome. Baseball family, if you have an opinion, insight, or insider information on this, please let us know. We want to know. Okay, the Giants swept the Dodgers. Oh, baby, this is huge. The Giants swept the Dodgers, and I knew this was going to be a huge series. We talked about it. We called it, and it ended up being enormous for the San Francisco Giants. They outscored the Dodgers 12-4 to throughout the whole series. What? Including a shutout on Sunday. They shut them out 2-0 to zero on Sunday. That is Mookie huge. Betts is... To shut out that roster is enormous. It's huge. Mookie Betts is on my fantasy team. I cannot drop him or trade him or anything like that. And I don't understand why, why because he is not giving me anything. It's to I'm prevent slow. collusion, Brig. Ugh. Anyway. It's so collusion um, rules. The collusion rules? What are you talking about? Yeah. It's a real thing. That I know ESPN fantasy for sure does like has like anti collusion rules put in place, especially for leagues that have money. Like ours doesn't, but um, but yeah, it's so that you can't matter. It's so that like if you're you've decided you're done playing on the on the league, like on the season, and you decide you just want to drop your your best players, yeah, but then like you're like, hey, Brad, I'm gonna drop Mookie Betts, he's gonna hit the waiver wire in 20 minutes, be ready, right? So then. I can jump in there and make a claim. Yeah, so but he's not playing well. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> the point is Dave Roberts has spoken out about losing, right? And I'm going to quote him directly here. He says, people get caught up in their own individual paths, but the whole focusing on just winning a game and doing whatever it takes to win that day, we have to get back to that mindset. End quote. Oh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? Yep. That's exactly that what we're talking they about. Kind of, they kind of seem like they have that attitude that like, oh, we don't need to win every game. We don't need to try to win every single game. Just yeah. go out there and do our thing. And Well, so, even we have felt that way about them in the past few weeks. We've literally said they don't need to win every game, and it'll right. be fine. They're still going to be fine. And while that remains true, you cannot get swept each series and stay in that position. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's yeah, because it's not going to be that way much longer if they're not careful. No, it's not, and they're sliding in every factor. So I don't know what's going on in L.A., but it's a big problem. So the continuation of that quote, Brig, yeah. is um, is Dave Roberts saying that he's not going to call a team meeting, but he is going to have some individual conversations with guys to basically find out what's going on. So currently going into going into Monday. The Dodgers only have a half a game lead on the Padres, and the Giants are three and a half back. Wow. So okay. I know it's June. It's June. It's early. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the middle of June, it's not but that still early, Brad. It's, it's not, not that, that early. early. It's yeah. no because longer. It's gonna be, 
It's going to be the end of July before you know it. Yes, we have crested that magical line where it's not the early part of the season anymore. Yeah. We are now in dog day of summer land. Like this, this is where the rubber meets the road and everything starts coming out in the wash and it's based on these games right now. And if it's close, yep. it's going to go back to games in April and May. But right now, it's all about like this is where it this is where it all happens. So if you are Dave Roberts and you're going to speak to guys individually, who are you going to talk to? Do you pull in team leadership? Do you pull in individual guys that you think are having selfish <coughs> uh, performances? Do you think do, do you do both? Like who who do you go after first to try and right the ship? Um, I mean, you could almost get two birds with one stone with some of those leadership guys, right? Because yeah. some of them might be out there just playing for their stats. For sure. Um, I, was thinking I don't feel like, thing. I mean, Freddie Freeman just got paid, right? So he's not yeah. out there trying to prove anything, trying to get his next next contract. He's secure. He's good to go. He's just out there being Freddie and playing baseball. Yeah. Um, Plus that's who he is. Right. Yeah. Well, and you could say the same for Mookie Betts. The Mookie, Mookie Betts is locked up for a little while. But yeah, like sure. you talk to Cody Bellinger and say, hey, you're pressing. I understand that you're up here pretty soon for free agency. Um, you just need to relax, play baseball, or it's going to be worse for you, right? Or is that putting too much pressure on him? But either way, I think he's a guy you talk to because I feel like he is him. pressing. Um, who else? Um, Max Muncie? I don't know. If it were me, I would go to team leadership, and I would say, if you don't call a meeting, I will, and you don't want me to call a meeting. That's what I would do. I would solve the problem yeah. at the lowest level. I would light a fire and I would say, guys, and I would pull three, two or three players in together. If I had only two leaders, I would pull those guys in. If I had three leaders, I'd pull them in. And I would say, you either figure it out or I will. And see what they yeah. do. What well, you have nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, I don't know if that's Dave Roberts' personality, though, the whole like you call a meeting or I will, but you don't want you and you won't like it if I do, because I, I don't know that's necessarily him. Cause he seems pretty laid back. Yeah. Um, he can get fiery. I just don't know if he gets fiery in the clubhouse, you know? Well, I, I don't think he's going to yell and scream. I mean, he's got the heart condition, right? Yeah. He's not, but <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not going to, it's definitely not going to be throwing a table. Yeah. He's not going to upset the apple cart, but what I think he needs to do is shake things up pretty hardcore. And I think that, he could, with a flick of his pencil, make just as much you know impact as he did throwing the table. It's true. He doesn't need to he scare could. people verbally or physically. He just needs to flick mm -hmm. his pencil a couple of times, and that's it. That's that's true because that's one thing they do in Seattle is they mix up the the lineup just about every day. Like lately, it's been the whoever plays in right field is based on a right or left handed pitcher. So mm -hmm. if it's a right-handed pitcher, Taylor Trammell plays right field like or starts in right field. If yeah. it's a left-handed pitcher, then Dylan Moore starts in right field. Yeah. And so, and then as the bullpen comes in, and like if it's like the seventh inning and it's been a, a righty started, and then it's the seventh inning, they bring in a lefty, then Dylan Moore comes in, replaces Taylor Trammell, and that's just the way it is the rest of the game. Um, one of the things that Seattle doesn't have with that kind of platoon thing is they don't have the threat of pulling a guy based on his performance. Whereas in LA, everybody, the guys who play play every day. Gavin Lux, I think is the only, only exception to that. That's just because he has his defensive issues. Um, but like Woody Bellinger's playing every day, but 
that's true. He might not be either because he's out of his, his offensive issues, but yeah. it might be one of those things where Dave Roberts, like you're right, says, okay, um, Justin Turner, you're going you're gonna to take a week off. Yep. So it could, it could be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I just hope they pull it together because I need, I want competitive baseball. This 12, 12 runs to four runs over the course of a series. It's not competitive baseball. And that bothers me. Yeah. Well, they're Walker four and Bueller. six over the last ten, lost three in a row, and Walker yeah. Bueller, Walker Bueller could be part of the problem why they're losing he, too. Go ahead. He could be, but you can't blame it all on one guy. But Walker Bueller is out with a right forearm strain. We all know that forearm or elbow or any of those things are signs that they got to go in and get Tommy John. That's kind of the pattern that we see. We don't know that it'll be right away. We don't know how often or how soon it'll take to pull him. But what we've seen so far from Walker Bueller is the reporting is that he did get an MRI. It revealed no tear at all. And there's no need for surgery at this point, which I thought was shocking. So this is mm-hmm. the first time we've seen sore, sore forearm or, or or tight elbow or something that didn't yeah, lead the, to the forearm catastrophic issues in, in yeah. short order. So they're, they're still going to hold him out for three months, though, which I think may be excessive. But you want well, so they're gonna the they're not gonna let him pick up a baseball. I think I saw for like three or four weeks. Yeah, and so he's completely shut down during that time. And then eventually they're gonna let it. They're gonna have him work back up, and that's why it's gonna be three months. He's on the fifteen day IL, so he's not. They're not planning on him being out for too much longer than three months. But I think I saw uh, late in the season is their plan for him. So they're really playing the long game with him. Really, I think long. that they're like. If we're going to win, we're going to win with or without him this year. And if we need him at the end of the season, that's when we'll have him. But we'd rather have him next year and be on rather than screw ourselves this year, right? Well, and hose Walker Bueller, too. Like, I, he's yeah. a competitor. He wants to play ball. But, I mean, he's got to look out for himself, his career. And you're right. The long option for the team next year is also a factor here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know much about their pitching, but it doesn't seem to be a huge problem. No, they have one of the best pitching staffs in the game. Part of that though yeah. is Walker Bueller. I feel like he's a big piece of that. Yeah. But at the same time, though, like they're they're good. Like uh Tony Gonsolin might be the best. I think he has the best ERA on the team right now. Tony's Tony's great. I just picked yeah, up. Yeah, he's Tony. gonna be an all-star. <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah. He's really good. Um okay, so the let's go to another streak, but streak in the opposite direction. The Braves are on a roll right now. We it's interesting because we just talked about them um leading the league in Striking out Strike of the plate. Yeah. yeah. Now they've won 11 in a row going into Monday. So what we've learned here, Brad, is that we're not allowed to talk about the Braves doing poorly anymore because then they start doing really well. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> or maybe Just Braves kidding, fans Atlanta. want us to talk about it when they do poorly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I live in Braves. Well, and they're currently and winning 6-4. to four, Currently winning 6-4, <laughs> to four, so they could very well take that to 12 games tonight. That's awesome. So a potential 12-game win streak Going into today, today's Monday, and Tuesday when you're listening to it, they could have a 12th win. Um, that means that they're currently undefeated in the month of June. They outscored their opponents 74 to 30, which is staggering. For those mm, of that'll you that help at home, that's more than differential. double. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, I do math too. Okay, Brad. <clears throat> they beat the D backs, the Rockies, the A's, the Pirates in, in the streak. Um, what do you think, Brad? What do you think about these Braves? You know, it's hard to win 11 in a row regardless of who you are. 
Um, like you could be, you could have 20 games against the bottom of the league and you could only win 15 of them if you're the best team. Right. Yep. So I think, I think it's legit being that consistent for that long, every single day, day after day. Um, but I do want to see how they stack up against better teams now that they've kind of found their identity and figured themselves out. I mean, they're playing the Nats at the beginning of this week. So that, so that streak very well could push to 14 games. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like easily. So I don't know. We'll see what happens when they go and they play the Phillies who are playing really well right now as well, or especially the Mets or anybody else who's top in in the national league right now. But yeah, but Hey, that consider that consistency for that long. I think that's good for them right on. Yeah. Other things that are going on talking about hot streaks, the Yankees and the Phillies are both nine and one out of their last 10. The Red Sox are eight and two out of their last ten, and Cleveland's ball club, the Marlins, and the Padres are all seven and three in their last ten. Um, so that's, I mean, those are some hot numbers. We're very excited about them. They Especially are. The well, it's crazy. I like to see them turned around. You know, I keep saying that the Phillies are going to win, are going to make the playoffs. I think they're finally going to do it now that Girardi's out of there. Yeah. Um, I can't believe the Padres are seven and three in their last ten, despite losing their last two. It's and crazy. the Guardians, what in the world? Seven and three no in the last ten, second place no in the central. It's stupid. I think I had them finishing <laughs> last in the division or second to last over the Royals. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, we're right there with the Royals. Before. This is crazy. So if you're having fun in Cleveland watching baseball, I hope you're excited about it because we are. You ought to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Tony Larusa, we got to know if he's on his way out right now. Intentionally walked Trey Turner with two strikes just to get to Max Muncie. And then Muncie Muncie hits a three-run bomb to extend the lead 10-5. Dodgers ultimately won the game 11-9 and the fans are livid. They're livid. I don't blame them. No, I would be. So, did you see the, what Tony Larusa said about that whole thing? No, he's he's like basically was like it's a no brainer. Do you see what Trey Turner hits with two strikes against a right handed pitcher? Do you see what Max Muncie hits with two strikes? It's like, well, okay, yeah, that's fine, but at the same time, like, I don't care if Trey Turner is batting nine hundred against right handed pitchers with two strikes. Throw four pitches out of the zone to see if you can get him to chase. Just yeah. don't give him a free base. And then Muncie's coming up. Muncie doesn't have two strikes. So he's up there. I think it was an all one count when he hit that home run. Yeah. Um, absolutely crazy. The The White Sox are third in the AL Central right now. I just looked. Just make sure. Yeah. Um, the fans started chanting, fire Tony. This was, so this is a different game. The different so, game, yeah. During the, yeah. It was an 11 to 9, 10th inning loss. To the Rangers. Oh, now the Rangers are in second place in the AL West right now. They've been playing pretty well lately, but at the same time, though, the White Sox are supposed to be really good and shouldn't be losing. That's to the right. Rangers. This is disappointment, and I don't blame them for being upset. <clears throat> but I don't know. <laughs> I'm mixed because I like Tony Larusa, and I like to see these guys come out of retirement and do well, and. This is yeah, I, I think he's lost the clubhouse, honestly. Well, because I mean part of it was he he ruined like that was that dude, Yerman Mercedes. He like oh yeah, ruined his career last year. 
by yeah. getting on him for swinging a three zero pitch. It's like, dude, he's trying to stay on the club. Yeah. Of course, he's going to pad his stats. And so that dude's like not in baseball anymore. And then now this year he does this. And then we saw a video today of I don't know if it was on Sunday or or today or what, but there was a spat in the clubhouse or the dugout between mm-hmm. Lance Lynn and it looked like one of the base coaches. Yeah, it's like you got to either get things figured out or get out because it's not looking good. No, there there's drama. There's drama for mm-hmm. sure. Um, <clears throat> let's move on. You ready? Yep. There's a lot. We got a little bit more we got to get through, and then we'll take a break. Fernando Tatis Jr. will not be coming back until July because his wrist is healing slowly. This yeah, is they said it was healing a lot slower than they expected. Yeah, and so this kind is of the weird. Stat I, well, go ahead. Oh, no, it's kind of weird. A weird thing. It I is weird. Know. I think this is the saddest news in the whole thing right now, honestly. I, I want to see him on the field. I want to see him playing, playing well. I want to see the Padres playing well. And I'm just plain old disappointed in this. But I do I do think like this is long-term investment protection for the club, for him, for the league, on and on. It's a good decision to take this slow, but it is disappointing. That's all. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is that look at how well the Padres are playing without him. I know. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens when he comes back. Yeah. Do they really step will. up another another notch or do they step back? Because the chemistry is I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. But I feel like Machado has really stepped it up and is Dude, playing he could win the a MVP. whole new level. It's nuts. He's playing it's out of his fu- mind. He is playing out of his mind. And it's funny because I, I keep telling people, I've been telling people for years that Manny Machado is underrated and everybody says he's overrated. I'm like, no. And this is what I've been, this is what I knew he could do. He's so yeah. good, Brick. He is. Well, and we talked about it when they pulled him into the clubhouse in San Diego and signed him for a long deal for a lot of money. We both said, like, this is is the leadership they need. They're going to build around Mm -hmm. his confidence. They're going to build around his experience. They're going to build around some of his swagger, which has muted, honestly, in the last three three to five years. He has gone from cocky, entitled, arrogant, Mm self-important to – to, but still a terrific ball player, but he was like the bad guy yeah. of the league to now. Now we're all cheering him on. We're all excited for him, and he's quieted well, down. Yes. It's yeah. awesome. And I feel like I feel like people are still talking, like treating him like he's the bad guy he used to be. Yeah. But, man, no, he's a completely different person. It's kind of like Bryce Harper when he went to Philly. Yes. Right? He really settled down, really matured. Machado has really matured into his role, and he's – he's playing it really really well and it can be a problem for the rest of the nl west if he continues to elevate that roster the way that he is i think what's going on with both harper and machado is that they were playing on underperforming ball clubs that undervalued their talent and abilities and wouldn't build a team around them as aggressively or as thoughtfully as they intended as a player you always want that i i assume so that's what i mean like i think now they're beating the 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 team that's built around them, they're getting the love they deserve. They're getting the opportunities to go out and put put great performances on the field and not well, be the only one doing it. Yeah, and they're older. Yeah. But I think it goes beyond that because I've seen we've seen older ball players be just as wild and crazy, just as ornery, just as all True. that other stuff. I don't think yeah. age has as much to do with it as as the that they're getting the support well, that they've deserved. 
No, I think you're right because you have more to lose, right? If you're on a team that's bad and isn't going anywhere, who cares if you get thrown out for being a douche, right? But yeah. if you've got a win at stake there, then you want to be out there. You want to be contributing to your team, contributing to that win. Like if you know you're not going to win anyway, then go out, be obnoxious, do it however, act however you want to act. I think so the I same think, goes for I the clubhouse. There. Yeah. It's exactly the same in the clubhouse. Like, what do I care? I don't need team cohesion. I don't need unit cohesion. None of that yeah, matters. We're not going anywhere anyway. Win anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm just out here for myself. I'm trying to get paid. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So he takes if I'm loud, the rest of the league will see me. Yes. See what I'm capable of. And they'll bring yes. me in and pay me. And, and yeah. they did. It was rewarded, which is a little bit too bad, but it also worked. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Let's move on. Uh, the slowest pitch in Major League Baseball history has now been recorded in the all of recorded baseball history. We now have definitive, the slowest pitch of all time. It is recorded at a whopping, just a blazing 35.1 miles per hour. <laughs> and this, now to give you a little context, this was thrown by a position player. First baseman. It was first baseman, Schwindel for the Cubs. And he threw Frank it tank. against... Yeah, yeah, he threw it against a, a catcher who is really struggling, by the way, Kyle Higashioka. I heard a stat today, Brig, that Higgy has the lowest OPS in all of Major League Baseball. It's, not it's the Yankees, not the American oh. League, in all, all of Major League Baseball. You literally crouched up on your mic to make that very clear. I did. You real close. You were like, <laughs> by the way, holding it. Nice and steady, so you could hear me clearly that he has the lowest OPS such a in all of baseball, break <laughs> All of it. It's okay, because we have Jose Trevino, and he's playing out of his freaking mind right now. I don't know what is going on. But anyway, Higgy finally got an opportunity to go and put together a productive at-bat against the Cubs' first baseman, Frank Tank, Schwindel, and Higgy went yard, which was cool. Um but this was Schwindel's second trip to the mound this season. I think it was is this season or ever. I can't remember. Uh, probably it, ever. It's it probably ever. ever. Anyway, slowest pitch in Major League Baseball history. So to give you some context for 35 miles an hour, how slow that is, um, I want to say I was in third grade, and I was at, a, at an amusement park, and they had one of their games was you throw against a radar gun, right? Yeah. Yeah, you throw two, and then on the third one, you guess your speed. If you guess your speed right, then you get one of those plastic helmets, right? I yeah, think you know nice. what I'm talking about. Yeah, and uh, I threw 35 miles an hour, Brig, nice. <laughs> as a third grader. As a third grader, <laughs> you're eight years old. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> to give you another frame of reference, when you're speeding on a regular road and you hit a school zone and the lights are flashing and it tells you to slow down to 35 <laughs> miles an hour. That's how fast that ball's going. You're think going. The, yeah. Think of how just every, your whole world shifts into this new gear of ugh. That's how fast that ball's going. <laughs> just feels like you're crawling. Yeah. <laughs> and and from a 95 mile an hour fastball to a 35 mile an hour floater pitch, it was exquisite. There is there is zero inertia on that ball. That like you got to give Higgy credit. That's muscle. That is all is. muscle to get right. that ball out. Not just no transference. Up, none. Shit over the fence. That's a big. <laughs> and he deal. went left field. That's a strong, dude. That's a strong <laughs> left dude. field. He pulled it. He pulled all it. Left. Yeah, 
It was awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so now the more context. It was a 17 to 4 Yankees blowout victory at the time. It ended at 18 to 4 with that um <laughs> with that bomb and Edwin Diaz in New York, but just just for further context, Edwin Diaz is clocking 102 miles an hour right now for New York for the Mets. Uh, just by comparison, <laughs> it's just fabulous. It's so funny. Okay, so, all right. So one one last one last thing about that game. Yeah. So I told you, Brig, the safest bet in baseball these days, right? Did yeah. I tell you that? Yeah, is you put did. money on Aaron Judge to hit a home run. So I put right. money on Aaron Judge to hit a home run that game, and he was legitimately the only guy who didn't. Yeah, I know. Jeez. <laughs> so stupid. It's so frustrating. But you know who does hit home runs in the pinstripes right now is Matt Carpenter. Matt and freaking Carpenter. I don't know what's going on. The next he, best bet in baseball, because if he's in the game, he's hitting a home run. And if he doesn't play, you get your money back anyway. That's right. It's fabulous. He has now hit six home runs in the last 10 games. He is the only Yankee in the history of the franchise to do that, to hit six or more home runs in his first 10 games in the club. He's the That's only unreal. Yankee in history to do it. The Yankees are now 5-0 and in games where he hits a home run, and they're 8-2 and in games he plays in, and 6-1 and if he starts. Because he does a lot of like relief work and stuff like that on the field. Yeah, well, and it's not only that, but like he could be a guy who could come in, you know, and uh, as a replacement, like a, as a pinch hitter or whatever, in a seventeen to four blowout, right? Yeah, like he sure. could easily be that guy. But he started that game. He was, yeah, he was in that game the whole way. Totally. Yeah, he's playing third base, and he's going to be playing third base uh, probably tomorrow because Josh Donaldson's suspension has been upheld by the by. But indeed. But yeah, so it's the not like game. he's just coming in and blowing, and he's not just coming in and blowouts. And nope. facing position players. No, he's hitting. No, he's clutch. runs off legitimate guys and playing in games that matter, playing the full time, playing the whole thing. So, yeah, he's still got some in the tank, apparently. And it must be the power of the stash because it's working. The stash power is a thing, man. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. I don't know what's going on. It's very cool. Let's keep it with New York one last time before we take a break. Uh, ESPN's documentary on Derek Jeter, it's called The Captain. It did premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's a seven-part series. It was executively produced by none other than Spike Lee himself. It will debut July 18th, immediately following the Home Run Derby on ESPN. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has me on the edge of my seat. (laughs) I am literally peeing my pants happy about this. (laughs) I bet you are. I'm excited. I'm not. I was never a big Yankee fan growing up, which means I wasn't a huge Jeter fan growing up. I will say that the one year that like my little league team was the Yankees, I did wear number two. I about fought a kid for it, but I did wear number two. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this I'm always excited for the the uh, behind the scenes documentaries of these uh, about these big iconic players because especially Jeter was somebody we nobody knew anything about. Like yep. That's one of the things that it talks about is that it goes, it uncovers the mystery of Derek Jeter on and off the field. Like, who was he? He just barely got on Twitter like last week. It so was last finally- week. <laughs> yeah. Was, and he, he said, I guess I have to do this now. <laughs> there you go. It's yeah, like, so oh, we're going to get to get to see who Jeter was. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I've read up on him and I've, uh, you know, I've got, I've done yeah, some research. Yeah. It's great, but he's got a couple of books out that are awesome. But, uh, Ultimately, it'll be interesting to see how it's portrayed. So, um, Brad, 
and I have yeah. decided that we are going to live call the home run derby again this year. So super excited about that. Uh, that is July 18th. For those of you who are paying attention, July 18th, we will be doing the home run derby like we did last year. You can go ahead and turn on the television, mute those fools and turn us on instead because it's going to be better. We have way more fun. <laughs> We're rowdy too. Right. We don't have any yeah, we are. weird rules we have to follow. <laughs> it's it's fun. good. It's a lot of fun. It's good time. Last so, year we had tune in for uh, that. guest appearances and everything. It'll be it'll be good. We'll put together a good show for you again this year. Um, yep. Really quick before we take a break, don't forget about Patreon. It's the best way to support the show. You can do that on Patreon.com. We have three tiers. It's the best way to support the show. Help us keep doing what we're doing. And more importantly, help us get a couple of ideas off the ground that we have coming up. We've also got some merch and some perks attached to each of those tiers respectively. Um, And one of them is the unedited version of the show. We call it the bullpen cut. So if you're interested in some production meeting stuff and some behind the scenes conversations, more inappropriate jokes, it's a plug for what happened today, then you can jump on and get the bullpen cut on Patreon. And with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back with me. Root, root, root for the home day. Don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Shop kids' baseball strips. At 9plusss.com. The Nonther Sports Podcast is the home of sports talk for everyone. Every other week, you can catch David and Jason as they talk about all things sports. From current events to classic moments and everything in between. You can find the Nonther Sports Podcast on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and more. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. All right, baseball family, welcome back. We are going to talk about a documentary that Brad and I watched. A couple weeks ago, we discussed documentaries that we need to see, that we're hoping either to make or to have made so that we can enjoy them and so that we can have that information uh, from behind the scenes. But in the process of saying, you know what I want to watch? We uh, came up with some ideas and then did some research and found out they already exist, which was really cool. (laughs) Yep. One of them was uh brad and i were talking and we thought wouldn't it be cool if they did a documentary like fastball but about knuckleball knuckleball as a pitch the knuckleballers that throw them etc turns out there is a documentary called knuckleball and it was what is it 2012 yeah 2012 released 2012 um and Mm -hmm. it was uh, brad and i both watched it today i watched it today did you watch it today yeah yeah i watched this morning me too. And it was awesome. <laughs> I was like, it was really good. Oh man. Yeah. I just yep. loved I it. I liked it. It highlighted specifically two players, R.A. Dickey and Tim Wakefield. And mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job. Brad was really excited about how they framed it up. Brad, why don't you tell us 
what you loved most about it. Well, so it's um, Ari Dickey and Tim Wakefield. First off, are, the, are the, like the last two guys to throw knuckleballs, and this, like like we said, this was released in 2012, and uh, the bulk of the story is from 2011. Yeah, and one thing I thought was really interesting about the way that it was framed up was like, was like, oh, you know, like the perception of the knuckleball and the knuckleballer that it's like basically like a circus pitch, right? And yeah. that the guys who throw the knuckleballs are. are kind of like gimmicky pitchers and and they can't actually pitch so they have to throw the knuckleball right which yeah. is what you, the same thing you say about a, a submarine or a sidearm pitcher or whatever it's the same thing yeah. yeah but they say that about the knuckleball um and i was like and as i'm sitting here watching i'm like well the thing that they're not saying about either of these guys yet is that a tim wakefield was a, was a failed infielder because he couldn't hit right yeah, first base and yeah. then yeah first baseman and then uh R.A. Dickey is like he used to be like a I don't want to say like a legitimate pitcher, but he was like a, a traditional pitcher. a traditional pitcher. Yeah. 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 And so but they did eventually get into that and they actually got into both of those things in depth, which I thought was great because it's part of the story that has to be told. Yes. Um, there were certain things that were left out, particularly with R.A. Dickey's story. I know yeah. was that they went early with the victim card. Right. They tried to paint Dickie as the sympathetic character um, that like, oh, he, he went around from team to team and was never sure where he was going to be from day to day. It's like, no, he pitched like 32 games, 30 or 32 games for the Mariners in 2008, you yeah. know? And yeah, he hopped around, but that's because he was a knuckleballer who was trying to find his spot in the league, which he yeah. did in New York with the Mets. Yep. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's too bad for him that, they only did the documentary for 2011 going into the 2012 season because he won the Cy Young in the 2012 season. Yeah. Right. Like that's, yep. that was like, it got to the end and I was kind of like, Oh, but just go over the top. Yeah, ah. just missed it. Just yeah. a bit outside. It would have, it would have <laughs> been the cherry, right. It would have been the, the documentarians If they're like, if we had waited six months to release this or whatever, you know, yep. we could have got the Cy Young in there, but it is what it is. <clears throat> yeah. I I thought there's a deadline for everything. I thought it was great. I I I didn't like the victim card that they played. Um I didn't even like R.A. Dickey's uh like delivery of everything. It seemed like he was playing the humble card a little hard. But mm-hmm. maybe that's just genuinely who he is. I don't know. That's what I was gonna say. He does seem like he that's who he is, though, because his he seems very soft spoken. Yeah. And like a genuinely kind person. So he might just be sure. that humble person that like, like, oh, you know, I finally got my shots. Like, well, dude, you played for like four teams already, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I don't know. Anyway, it just it felt like it dovetailed a little too conveniently. It felt like it was somewhat play acted, but and I don't know if that's yeah. true. I just that's how it came off a little bit. A little bit. Um on top of that, I also, um, I didn't, I did well, they tried really hard to say, holy crap, this will never go away, right? Somebody is going to always come and throw the cur- the knuckleball. Somebody's always going to be there, and it just depends yeah. on whether clubs are going to be able to take the chance on them. And at one point, there was a quote, was it by Tito? I think it was Terry Francona that said if the manager will just sit on his hands and be okay with whatever happens, then you could really see some genuine magic. But that's yeah, what I think it was take. him. That's yeah, because he take. 
he even said there's going to be some off pitchers, there's going to be some stolen bases, but yep. that's just what comes with it. Yeah, he was speaking specifically of Tim Wakefield and the kind of up mm-hmm. and down uh, roller coaster ride that they had. Tim Wakefield pitched for 17 years. Was it 17 years in Boston? Yeah, out of his 18 yeah. or 19 total seasons or something out like of that. His 19 total. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you talk about how how they said that they made it seem like there was always going to be a knuckleballer. And I think that what, like, I guess, I don't know if we're like jumping to the end here, but the knuckleball is basically extinct in major league baseball. Like that's one of the reasons I wanted to watch this because I thought it was really interesting. There's, there are no knuckleballers in major league baseball right now. No legitimate knuckleballers. There's no, like there's no everyday regular rotation knuckleball. Like R.A. Dickey said, every position player on the Mets threw a knuckleball. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they all wanted but, to show him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all wanted him to come over, look at his knuckleball, and for him to say, "Hey," for, and they always ask, like, "Hey, like, how's my knuckleball?" He's like, "They all kind of make fun of it. It's kind of a gimmick, whatever." But you know, but anyway, they didn't I win the Cy Young the, with it. They didn't. That's right, and nobody else did. But I think that the reason we don't see the knuckleballer, despite everybody being able to being quote unquote being able to throw one, right, is because of what Terry Francona said. There's going to be pass balls. There's going to be stolen bases because nobody's willing to give up an extra base yeah. in the name of a pitch that's hard to hit. Yeah. They would rather have a 102 mile an hour fastball. It's hard to hit yeah. than a 65 mile an hour knuckleball. It's hard to hit, but also hard to catch. Super hard to catch. At one point there were two, there was a catcher. I think, was it Phil Necro's catcher or was it Charlie Huff's catcher? One of the two had their catcher out, and he was showing two different catcher's mitts. Mm, And one of them was a traditional, like, narrow, little small pocket. And then another one was this big, two two or three times as big, freaking, like, it was as big as a base. It's what it looked like. It it was huge. I think it was Phil Necro's. This is the one I use for the knuckleballs. Yeah, and that's, that's, so, as a catcher, I hated, 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 hated knuckleballs. And like I said, There's always like I think I've, I've brought this up before. There were guys I played with in high school. Like my knuckleball is my out pitch. I'm like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because it's going to end up at the backstop, and the guy's going to end up first base. Yeah, like that's not how we're going to play this. But yeah. one thing that used to drive me crazy is that who was it? One of the guys was it Wakefield said that his dad would go out and play catch with him. He'd throw the knuckleball just to get him to tire out. Yeah, I'd go out and play catch with my dad, and he thought I would. He always thought it was funny to just randomly throw me one. And I get so mad, so yeah, mad because it would just like happened. hit off, hit off the heel of my glove. I'm like, what are you doing? Because he's my, like, my dad threw a wicked, a wicked knuckleball. Gets so <laughs> mad. He's like, if you can catch that, you can catch anything. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's true. That's a true story. And I think well, it and that's be better because he would throw him. He'd throw him at the park too when we we're playing. When I was taking batting practice, he'd randomly whip a knuckleball up there at me. That's but, awesome. That's good training. Um, it, it worked out. It's interesting, though, that you say that about your dad, because one of the points they made in the documentary was that it doesn't hurt your arm, right? It doesn't hurt your arm at all. In fact, less is more. So there's no there's no longevity issues. There's no Tommy John problems. There's no shoulder Mm -hmm. issues. None of that comes into play because it's all about finesse. It's all about the push. It's all about the finger placement and the the grip has to be just right. But it's not a hard pitch. It's a finesse pitch. And so everything that happens from the time it, until it leaves your hand has to be dialed just right. And then it's in God's hands. <laughs> it's kind of what they said. Yeah. Like, well, I so like know. you watch, 
you watch it so they they show slow motion of the release so many times throughout the entire documentary and every single yeah. time it's so delicate every yeah. one of them just so delicate that just, like and the you cannot just put, kind of flies off there <laughs> yeah that you cannot put any rotation on that ball or else it's not going to knuckle and it's just going to be bp like they said yep. which i thought was really cool that they understand the delicacy of that because i i was at a, a baseball camp one time growing up and uh there was a pitcher he was in the red sox organization he was a knuckleballer he went to fresno state mm-hmm. and and he threw he's throwing the knuckleball there and the first time he pitched in I want to say it was in Utah. Hmm. Yeah, the first time he pitched in Utah, the the coach was like, so what happened to it? He's like, it went a long ways because the <laughs> air is not thick enough in Utah for that ball to knuckle. So it just yeah. floated right in there and they crushed yeah. it. Because it is all about turbulence, basically, right? It's all about the air grabbing it and moving it around, pushing it around. And because it's not slicing and dicing through the air, it just gets right. bumped around. That is basically what yeah. happens. There's just natural friction that t- tosses it around. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to change gears a little bit because one of the things I thought was so cool is that they paid homage to this the fraternity of these yes. four people. There are four people that they could they could literally gather to talk. When we watched Fastball, they had a lineup of dudes. They had hitters, they had pitchers, they had every generation you could think of. It was all this like super cool, like nostalgia or whatever. Rock stars, this, every single one of them. Total rock stars. In this one, there were four dudes. They had Tim Wakefield, R.A. Dickey, Charlie Huff, and Phil Necro. That was it. Those are the yeah. only four dudes they could find to talk about this pitch at a at that level of success. And I, I loved that, man. And the, so it, it was cool because Dickie said, oh, I just watched Tim. Uh, and I just had to figure out what Tim was doing. And then, but Tim said, man, the day Phil Negro came to talk to me about this changed my whole life. And now we're good friends. And I go to him when I have problems or whatever. It's like, who else do you go to? <laughs> you can't go to yeah. anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's the clip. So there's one section where um, where Ari Dickey, I believe, goes to Charlie Huff. Yeah, right. They go to like a, basically so. a, like, looked like a high school locker room. Yeah, they sat down. No, that was Necro. I think it was Phil Necro. Well, maybe it was Charlie. I don't remember. I think I think it was. Uh, no, I think you're right. I think it was Phil Necro. Anyway, it was one of the old guys, yeah. and uh, and they're sitting there watching film, and he tells tells Dicky. He says, "Can you you need to make uh, says you need to you need to change speeds on it more because Ari Dicky was known for throwing an eighty mile an hour knuckleball. Right, and, and the thing bonkers. is. Is that? I mean, first off, we're watching those games and we're watching it go in. And I remember as a kid just watching, been like, just crush the ball that the old man is throwing. Like, how hard <laughs> can it be? You know, <laughs> I can get in the box and crush that ball. So yeah. there's that. But then it's like you get big leaguers who 80 miles an hour is a little bit closer to what they're used to. Yeah. Right. Break or no break. Yeah. So then if he starts mixing up speeds on it, though, that's when it gets to be really challenging. I think totally. at one point they said that he was throwing 55 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour. Yeah. And that was really what took him over the top to win the Cy Young. Yeah. Right. Well, so what's interesting is they said that you can go a long way in baseball throwing a knuckleball. And just to give you a frame of reference, Phil Necro uh, made his debut 
in 64, but he it looks like he only played 10 games. So let's call it 65. 41 ball games in 65. That was his age 26 year. Okay. Mm-hmm. The last recorded game he appeared in was 1947. He, he was 48 years old. Yeah. That's insane. Crazy. That's yeah, insane. He looked like an old man out there. You saw, you saw he looked clips? like an old man. He yeah. looked like he was like 60. Bro, with the, he had white hair coming out and everything. Yeah. It was insane. It was so cool. Because yeah. he, he did look like old man river out there on the on the mound. And I wonder if and I don't know if he uh if he retired because he couldn't handle the travel anymore. It's like if he could get on like a like a home games only uh schedule, you know, <laughs> like an old coach or something like that. But yeah. Well he went yeah, from no. in, in 1987, he started with um Looks like he was a free agent, and then he got traded, and then he went to Cleveland, and then he went to Toronto, and then he finished in Atlanta. Um, and that last stint in Atlanta with one game was a 15.0 ERA. 15.00 with three innings. So that that's not good. That's not good at all. No, Six hits, not. five runs. Yeah. He earned every one of them. So it looks like maybe they took him out a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point of the story is it was a terrific documentary. Loved everything about it. Um, pretty much. I mean, there were some some things that we've mentioned, but it was did you have anything else you wanted to say about it, Brad? Um no, I don't know. I mean, it was it was an entertaining watch. It kept me engaged the entire time. I I I always wanted to see what they were gonna say next about it. It was really cool. Uh, to see that, like you said, that fraternity of knuckleballers. I did like the story about Charlie Huff when he got signed, when he signed his big league contract, that yeah. the general manager comes to his house, his dad comes out of the coal mine, you know, and he says, yeah. um, $250. He's like, well, I don't, I don't have $250 to give you for my son to come play baseball. Like, no, 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 no. no. We'll, we'll give him the money. We're going to give him $250 to come play for us. <laughs> yeah. A month. Not, yeah. Yeah. It must have blown his not mind. just one time, not just one time, yeah. every month. month with a two dollar <laughs> a day meal allowance. It's like, oh, that's man, right, that's crazy. That's so that cool. Was... I love yeah, that. I'm anyway. sure that that moment must have just been like making it as a kid from the coal mines, but anyway, oh, yeah, for no, sure. great documentary. I would actually like to see, like, along the lines of the pitches, I it did get me thinking that, like, I would like to see something about curveball. Like me too, because that's the that's the first breaking pitch you see. You yeah. learn how to throw as a little leaguer, right? Yes. Stay yeah. away from the slider for obvious reasons, but totally. curveball, and then maybe then maybe slider. The devastation that it has wrought on Major League Baseball and the elbows of pitchers, yeah, would be really interesting. It'd be fascinating. Um, Changeup might be interesting for guys who have to adjust their their pitching style. Like go through with each individual pitch and see how it affects the game because everything is so effective that you could tell a story about it. I think you totally could get all of it. Well, and just like every storyline in baseball, it's all about the people involved. Right. And this documentary did that perfectly. It told the stories of these two knuckleballers that went up and down in their careers and all the things that Mm -hmm. happened just over the course of one season. Right. We followed these guys for 2011. We got a little flashback, got a little flash forward, but ultimately we watched 2011 happen for R.A. Dickey and, and Tim Wakefield, and it was ex- it was excellent storytelling, right? honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that um, the none other than the 
uh, Baltimore Orioles, just to be sure. Um, last year debuted a 33-year-old knuckleballer. Oh, really? Where's he at? His now? name was Mickey Janice. I, I don't know where he is now, but he's a three-year-old knuckleballer, made his debut. He was picked 44th round of the 2010 draft by the Rays and then adopted the knuckleball when Tampa Bay cut him after his second professional season. He spent three years in independent baseball before the Mets signed him in 2015, picked up by the Orioles in 2020, um, waited out the canceled season, and then pitched well enough to go to AAA in a call-up. So, And this is from SI.com. So he, I'm gonna, he has I'm gonna he appeared up. in one game last year. Oh, you, you got it? Yeah. Yep. One game, three and a third against the let's see here against the astros so not exactly the team you want to be brought in because he <laughs> three and a yeah. third eight hits one strikeout four walks and seven earned Ooh, so not necessarily put in a position to succeed though no no not at all but that is how rare we are i mean that's the rarity of the of the, the pitch right now honestly so yep, yep. anyway yeah it is available online. We got it for free on YouTube, actually. The full 90-minute documentary is available free on YouTube. We'll go and ahead the link and put is in the description. in the description. Yep, we'll make sure it's there for you so that you can watch it because it is worth 90 minutes of your time, absolutely. And I even had to watch it in snippets. I wasn't able to watch it all the way through, and I didn't feel like that I lost anything in that. So yeah. I think that's a Easy hallmark of good storytelling. Yeah. Anyway, baseball family, let us know what documentaries you want to see. Um, If you've seen Knuckleball, with an exclamation point, by the way, that's important. If you've seen Knuckleball, let us know uh, what what you thought of it. Um, Do you miss Tim Wakefield? I called my friend Mike Farns and I asked him, I said, "What? tell me about Tim Wakefield, big Boston Red Sox fan. He says he loves Timmy, loves everything about him. I said, oh, okay, cool. So we had a good conversation about what it was like to be a Red Sox fan through all 17 of those years and what it was like to have all those ups and downs and all that stuff. And now he's left with, as the way things go, you you end on a high note and you're left with wonderful memories and praise for the rest of your life. So anyway, it's super cool to have that conversation. And uh, we want to know if we'll ever see a knuckleball again. So jump in the comments or in the mailbag and let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know what, what other documentaries you think we should watch and talk about as well, because we kind of want to go through some and do this on a pretty regular basis. So we're going to call this Talk About a Doc, just for funsies. Um, but same thing. So you can submit that through the mailbag or leave it in the comments or uh, go to baseballtogether.com to leave that in the mailbag as well. Briggy, you want to tell them about the shop? Yep. Don't forget to jump on the shop at 9plusus.com. It's N-I-N-E-P-L-U-S-U-S.com. 9plusus.com, where you can shop baseball merch. Uh, the herd is thinning right now, so if you if you really like something, you better go grab it now because we are <laughs> aggressively reestablishing things, and the inventory is taking a big beating right now. It's awesome. So uh, jump in the shop at 9plusus.com and grab yourself something for you or your little baby because we have onesies. <laughs> That's right. We do, for <laughs> sure. And don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Let us know what you think about what we're doing, if there's anything you think we can do better, or if there's anything in particular you would like to see or have us talk about, let us know. We're always open to feedback and your questions, comments, concerns, and snide remarks. And with that, baseball family, thank you again for joining us, and we will catch you next week. (laughs) 